From an Iraq war cover-up to towns ravaged by opioids to the roots of our modern immigration crisis, Embedded explores what's been sealed off and undisclosed. NPR's original investigative podcast reveals why these stories and the people behind them matter. Listen to the Embedded podcast only from NPR. Hey there, my name's Katie Williams, and I'm the author of My Murder. In 2018, author Katie Williams made a splash in speculative fiction with her novel, Tell the Machine Goodnight. Her new release, My Murder, takes place in a similar futuristic setting, though one that's not too far off from where we are now. The book follows Lou, the victim of a serial killer, who, along with her other victims, is brought back to life as a clone of her former self. Through their support group, Lou and the other victims together try to make sense of their murders. I spoke with Katie Williams about this not-so-distant future, society's fascination with true crime, and the complexities of writing from the perspective of a clone. I'm Beth Golay from KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This is Marginalia. Okay, so... Could you give our listeners a description of my murder? Because I want you to, you know, put any spoilers out there and not me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. I will try not to spoil because I think, um, I hope part of the fun are the reveals and twists of the book. Uh, yeah. My murder is about a woman named Lou who has been murdered. It's her murder. And she's been brought back to life after her murder through a government overseen program um, that, that that clones um, a small number of people and brings them back. So she's been brought back. And so have the other victims of the same murder. And they're in a support group together. And she's sort of trying to put back the pieces of her you know, new, yeah, old life. You know, we spoke in, I believe it was 2018 for your first book, Tell the Machine Goodnight. And it was futuristic. It was set in the not so distant future of 2035, if I remember right. And you said when we spoke that you loved imagining a future not too far away. This was also futuristic, but also it felt like it wouldn't be too far away. But I mean, I could place it in terms of, you know, Michigan or Arizona, but I couldn't suss out a date. Do you know when it was set? I I don't have a specific date in mind. Yeah, yeah. I I imagine a little bit out. And um, maybe if I were more meticulous, I would latch (laughs) it to a specific date. Um, But it's helpful for me in my imagination to just imagine a a few steps away from where we are now. One aspect of the book is a game. It's a virtual reality game called Early Evening, and it's named after the serial killer who murdered these women. And the born-again cloned victims were discussing the game after they first learned about its existence, and they discovered that you could play as one of the victims or you could play as the serial killer. And then this conversation followed. No one will want to play as the serial killer. Have you met humanity? So I'm wondering, why is there such a fascination with murder and serial killers? And I mean, full disclosure, I fall into that camp. I took a serial killers class taught by a dear friend of mine. He's a homicide detective who was on the task force that caught BTK, who also had a mention in the book. But what do you think about this fascination? 
Oh, wow. Well, I am also a member of the club of people who are interested in serial killers and, and serial murders. Yeah, I mean, that that conversation came specifically from a conversation I had had with a friend, the writer James Seidel, where he observed that horror movies used to sympathize with the victim. And then around the Saw franchise, they started sort of asking audiences to sympathize with the serial killer. And I thought that was a fascinating idea. Um, but to your question, why are people so interested in this? I mean, for me, it, I'm interested in how how someone can be sort of missing that, I guess, piece of humanity or empathy that would allow them to not even allow them to, but make it compelling and enjoyable to, to harm others. So it's it's, I guess, a question of the mind for me also related in a way, I read Maureen Corrigan's review of my murder in the Washington Post, and she got me thinking about, and this is a quote, instilling fear in women is also the consequence, intended or not, of so much violent, misogynistic content in popular culture, including suspense fiction. But she says the book has a sharp feminist consciousness. I wonder about what was your goal in terms of the strength of these women, of these women who were murdered and brought to life. And I mean, it, it just feels like they had sort of some sort of sass or confidence or attitude that I wonder if they possessed before. Oh, good. I'm glad they had those qualities for you. Um, yeah. I mean, the book started for me out of, you know, this fascination we're talking about and my discomfort with this entertainment I love where so often there is a dead woman in the middle of the story and she's just kind of an object and everyone else is sort of, you know, busy around her trying to figure out how she died. Um, and so I wanted to give her life and I wanted to give her agency. Um, and that was how my main character, Lou, was created. I wanted to bring her back. I think one of the things the novel became about for me was about agency and women's agency in a lot of different ways. And it's also about, you know, recovery, like recovering from trauma, what you do after the bad thing has happened. And I'm not someone who subscribes to the belief that like, oh, it's good that bad things have happened to you because now you're stronger. At the same time, I do believe that the things we go through affect us. They give us more insight. They can give us more strength and resilience. And so if that's showing up in my characters, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Okay, so another part of the novel that struck me as I read it was the rhyme, the children's clapping game. It appeared both near the beginning and near the end, and it reminded me of, you know, like the heavy words, lightly thrown nature of nursery rhymes. And, you know, we just talked about the fascination with murder, but with nursery rhymes and clapping games, I can't imagine that the children know what they're saying when they're doing these clapping games. And it, it kind of makes me wonder who writes these to begin with. <laughs> It's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about Ring Around the Rosies, which I think is it's about the flag or consumption. I don't know who, who writes children's clapping games. Yeah, there were some very violent ones that we used to sing when I was in elementary school. I guess it, it, for me, it brings up a kind of interest in or question about the ways in which journalistic happenings, but also art. We are talking about, you know, this thriller art that is misogynistic with the Corrigan quote, the ways they do sort of seep down into even what we would think of as sort of the most innocent parts of our society. I'm curious about how you dealt with perspective, because these women are clones. They share the same memories, but they do not share a oneness with their former selves. 
When the book opens, Lou is removing hair from the drain of a bathtub. She says it belongs to the other woman, to her husband's first wife. But it's her hair. But then again, it's not. So is there even a description for this perspective? I mean, can it be first person if that person were not the first person to begin with? Have you just invented a new perspective? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love that perspective on perspective. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know... (laughs) Um, I want, I started with the characters here and stayed with them for a long time because I was very concerned that they would seem at a remove from themselves. Um, and then that also became something that I sort of was able to dig into with my main character, Lou, the ways in which she does feel distanced from her own experience, both as a result of the the violence that she's been through. And also, I think just in ways that maybe we do just sort of typically in our lives. Um, I, I mean, the pandemic, certainly, and I wrote part of this book through the pandemic, I think, made some people feel like time was a little wonky, that they were maybe watching themselves go through their lives. And so the idea, I thought about perspective a lot while writing my murder. And it took on different meanings for me and for Lou as I explored and developed the book. Well, then I also want to talk about, you know, your use of tense, because Several times a character would say was and then shift to is. And I'm wondering, was that a a complication when writing or is that a complication when writing? Because you have what is and what was and where does that line begin and end? Right. Sure. I mean, I think we see this sort of tense shifting and the emotional valiance of it when someone dies. You know, my my dad passed a, a year ago yesterday, actually. And switching from is to was, you know, I was aware when I was doing it or calling it my mom's house instead of my parents' house. And I think that that is something that's here in the story. Even though these women have been brought back into their lives and given in a way like a chance to continue, there has been loss. And I think they're, you know, figuring that out. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. My dad passed 13 years ago, and I still catch myself calling it my parents' house or going out to mom and dad's and but there's some there's some comfort in that as well. Well, and also it is that place, right? Because it it was that place for you for so many years. And, and in a way, I think that means it still is. Or at least that's how I feel about my parents' house. Yeah. So talk to me about the technology in this book. I mean, this is a sudden shift. Sorry about that. Talk to me about <laughs> the technology in the book, because we have screens and specs and autos and therapeutic touch. And I was going to ask you about inventing this technology, but then I got to thinking they're they're actually in existence today, aren't they? We just call them kind of different language in, in our own landscape. So I guess this becomes a question about speculative fiction, because Everything you wrote about, it could happen, couldn't it? I mean, even the cloning could happen today. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are, are you wondering about, like, my choices around naming or nomenclature? Or, well, uh, just, does yeah. it not blow your mind that this that this book could happen? <laughs> yeah, I guess it does a bit. I mean, I the, the cloning feels to me like sort of the biggest leap forward, but everything else did feel like just sort of, you're right, the cloning the cloning could happen. Dolly, maybe, right? Maybe it is. <laughs> just don't know. Right. Um, which also seems, as I say it, very possible um, not to get conspiratorial. 
Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I wanted it to feel very familiar, very lived in. And yeah, I wanted it to feel futuristic enough that readers would, you know, be able to take the leap of, of, of the cloning, which is a very important part of the story. So yeah, fiddling with the names and thinking about how names might change. I thought a lot about, you know, phones and now we're, we are starting, I think, to call them screens because there's so many different devices one could have in front of them or be holding in their hand or have in their bag. So yeah, that was, <laughs> the, the naming was something I thought about a lot. I remember before we spoke about your last book, a reviewer for NPR, Jason Sheehan, had loved it so much he read it twice. But then he also said this at the time, every now and then I come across a book that doesn't fit the formula, that resists, for whatever reason, the easy slide into encapsulation. Sometimes it's because it's so complex. Other times it's the form or execution that defy conventional judgment. And once or twice a season or a year, it's because the book itself just refuses. And so with my murder, I found myself, you know, making little comparisons as I read it because I was thinking, you know, does this have hints of the monkey's paw or I wonder, you know, I don't know. I, d I guess I just I wonder if this need for comparables is normal or or more than that. I wonder if your books are just intentionally unique. Is that a goal for you just to make it like unlike anything we've read before? Oh, well, thank you. I mean, that. <laughs> <laughs> That's an awesome result. I, I I am really interested in genres which follow conventions and have expected forms. And I am interested in why we tell the same types of stories over and over again. And I guess through that interest, um, I, I find myself wanting to crack them open a bit and explore, you know, new ways of telling something but still having it feel familiar. So it, I don't set out to, you know, write something unique, um, but I, I do think a lot about familiar rhythms and beats that I love and, and ways I can make them my own. So this is your fourth novel, your second for adults. And you mentioned that you wrote part of this during the, the pandemic. How did the writing of this compare to your other pre-pandemic novels? Yeah, each each novel is different. I mean, this is something I tell my students all the time. I think, you know, having written a novel, you know, you can write another. And so maybe that's the thing that stays the same. And there's certainly, I think, transferable tricks and skills that you pick up. But each book has been its own creative process, really. With My Murder, um, well, so Tell the Machine Goodnight, my, my third book, it has, I guess, a, a structure that's somewhere in between novel and, and link short stories. And so writing that, I would, you know, write a chapter and then I would imagine leapfrogging to like, where can I jump or or, or slip and slide to, to the next place I want to write in plot and character. Uh, my murder has a plot that I hope is like a really well-constructed machine. It was my goal was to to create like a game for readers. And so I did have to think a lot about the book as a whole as I was writing it. So it, that would be a really big difference with this one. Well, the book is My Murder. Katie Williams, thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks for having me. That was Katie Williams, author of the book My Murder, which was published by Riverhead. 
Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevenson, Haley Krausen. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay. Mm-hmm.